Hello, and welcome to this Sleepcast series of the Stuff of Dreams podcast. My goal in this series is to provide you with relaxing bedtime stories that also have substance in the form of myths. I'm your host, Amy Lawson, MD, practicing pediatrician. I also have a master's degree in depth psychology, specifically in Jungian and archetypal studies. Our first myth is that of Psyche and Eros. Psyche is a human woman who unknowingly marries Eros, the god of love, who hides his identity from her. When she breaks his rule and dares to know who he really is, he casts her away. She must perform four difficult tasks to work her way back toward the god she loves. During their separation, Psyche and Eros each grow and mature until they're able to come together again in a more equal and deliberate and truly loving way. And now, Psyche and Eros, part five. Psyche traveled away from Aphrodite's fair valley, for she knew that nowhere in that fair place could she find a way down to the world below. As a child, when she had lived in her father's halls, her nurse had told her strange tales of dark caves, which men called the Mouth of Hades, and how those who went down them never returned. Or if one, luckier than the rest, came back into the sunlight, he was pale and weak, and he talked wildly of strange things that no one could understand. Far over the countryside she wandered and asked for the gate of Hades, and some pitied her, and some laughed at her foolishness, and everyone thought her crazy. For beggar or king, for wise or foolish, the road to Hades is the same, they said, and all must travel it sooner or later. If you are seeking it, truly, go throw yourself from that tall tower, and you will find it fast enough. Sadly, she went and stood on the tower, for she saw no other way. Once again, she said farewell to the earth and the sunlight, and was about to leap, when she thought she heard a voice calling her by name, and she held her breath and listened. Psyche, Psyche, she heard, why would you pollute my stones with blood? I have done you no wrong, yet you would make people hate me and avoid the rock on which I stand. As for you, it wouldn't help, for your soul would belong forever in the kingdom of the dead, and your ghost would glide about my walls, wailing and weeping for your lost love. Men, hearing it, would flee from me, and for lack of care, my stones would fall apart, and none of my proud beauty would be left, except a mound of moss-grown stones and your spirit's mournful watchfulness. Then Psyche knelt and kissed the stones. Poor tower, she said, I will not harm you. Perhaps you can tell me a better way, for I must bear this chest to the queen of the dead and beg for a gift of immortal beauty so that I may return to the earth worthy of my immortal husband. If you had thrown yourself over the edge, you would never have come to the queen of the dead, but you would have wandered on the shores of the land that has no name. For between that land and Hades flows the wide river Styx. Only one boat can cross it, that of Charon, the ferryman of souls. He is greedy and hard of heart, and he will not take anyone across unless they bring a coin of gold in their mouths. And the pale ghosts of those who have died away from their loved ones, when no one paid the last rites of the dead and placed the gold coin in their mouths, all these flock wailing around him and beg him with heart-rending cries to take them across. But he turns a deaf ear and beats them back with his oar. And even if you had convinced him and come to the palace of pale Persephone, you could not have entered in, for at the gates sits Cerberus, the three-headed hound of hell, and no one may pass him without a cake of barley bread. 
but he loves the taste of earthly food, and while he devours it, the giver may pass by unhurt. The gold coin and the barley cake I can get, she said, but how can I reach the underworld alive? Not far from here, you'll find the cave humans call the Gate of Hades. They named it in ignorance, for no one has proven where it leads. All the long years I have stood upon this rock, I've watched the entrance to that cave, and men have come up and looked inside, and the boldest have entered, but they always come back quickly, staggering like drunken men, with pale faces and wild eyes full of fear. And about them hangs the smell of the fumes that rise up from the gates of the dead, and the old wives sitting by the fireside nod their gray heads together. It's the tale that our mothers told us long ago, and their mothers before them, they mutter. It's surely the gate of Hades, and those who venture too far will never come back again. They have guessed right, maiden, and down that dark cavern lies your path to the underworld. But if those who venture too far never return, how shall I bring back the essence of undying beauty in the chest? Instead of one gold piece, take two and two loaves of fresh-baked barley bread. You will give one gold coin to the ferryman and one loaf to the hound as you go down, and keep the rest for your return, and out of greed they will let you come back again. Tie the chest to yourself, and put the gold coins in your mouth, and take a barley loaf in each hand. You must never set them down, or the pale ghosts will snatch them away for the taste of the earth-grown food warms their cold forms, and for a brief time they feel the glow of life again. By many tricks they will try to get you to set down the bread, but don't even answer them, for those who touch or answer a ghost become one themselves. Psyche thanked him for his counsel and went forth to beg the two gold coins and barley loaves, and in love of her beauty the people gave it gladly. When all was ready, she set out towards the cave. About its mouth grew thick brambles, and the ivy hung down in long strands, for no one had ventured in for many long years. As best as she could, she made her way through the prickly hedge and stood in the shadow of the cave, and the drip of the water from the roof sent a faint echo throughout the rooms. Through the dark pools she went, through mud and through muck, on and on she hurried, till her head swam and her heart turned sick within her for around her floated a poisonous mist which choked her and made her gasp for breath, and monstrous shapes swept past, the furies and harpies and hundred-headed beasts which guard the gate to Hades. Their cries and shrieks filled the air, and every moment she shrank back, terrified that they would tear her apart, as they bore down on her with the whirr of their mighty wings and their wild hair flying in the wind. Across the path they stood and waved her away, and her heart turned cold with fear, but she pressed onward, and when she came up to them, the shapes dissolved like mist before the sun, and she passed through them and found they were but smoke. And so she came to the nameless land that lies between earth and Hades, a barren, boundless plain, not even a tree or shrub to break the dullness of its sad mudflats. Up and down it wander the ghosts, and they wring their hands and wail to their dear ones above, to grant them burial and the rites of the dead. For Charon, the grim ferryman, beats them back from his boat, because they have no coin, and they are doomed to dwell forever in the land that has no name. As she was crossing the dismal plain, an old man came towards her, beating a laden donkey. 
The man was old and weak and could barely stagger along by the side of the beast, and as he came up to Psyche, the ropes broke and the wood carried by the donkey was scattered all about. The man began to wail and wrung his pale, withered hands. Gracious damsel, have mercy on an old man and help me load my donkey once more. But Psyche remembered the words of the tower, and she clung tighter to the loaves of bread, though she longed to help the feeble ghost. Onward she went till she came to the banks of the Styx. Nine times it winds its coils about the shores of Hades, and Charon, the boatman of the dead, ferries across and back forever. When he saw Psyche, he called to her and asked her for the coin. Saying nothing, she held out one coin with her lips, and he took it. Welcome, sweet maiden. We don't often get a fare like you, my boat and I. And he laughed a hard, thin laugh. Out into the stream they moved, and he began to row, and the rise and fall of the blade made no sound in those dull, leaden waters. As they neared the middle of the stream, Psyche saw two pale arms rise up above the waves, and the head of an old man, who cried out to her piteously, Help! Help! I'm drowning! Oh, for pity's sake, put out one finger to save me. And Psyche turned aside to hide her tears, for the face was the face of her father, and his cries pierced through to her heart. As the boat passed by, he sank with a moan beneath the waves, and she saw him no more. At length they reached the shore of Hades, and she saw three paths before her, leading upwards from the dock. As she stood, not knowing which to take, the old man beckoned to her. I don't know where you are going, lady, for you do not have the mark of the dead. The souls of the wicked I can recognize, for the furies fly around them, the avengers of sin, and drive them down the left-hand path to Tartarus. And the souls of the brave shine like stars in the darkness, and they take the right-hand path to the Elysian fields of light, where the breeze blows bright and fresh, and the golden flowers are glowing. The middle path leads to the palace of pale Persephone, but only gods and their children may go that way, or those who bring some token from the gods. Then Psyche showed him Aphrodite's chest and turned up the middle path. Through a dark wood she went and came out upon a plain. Here she saw three old women weaving at a loom, and they cried out to her in weak, quavering voices, O oh maiden, your eyes are young and your fingers strong. Come help us unravel the thread. But for the third time, she turned aside and went quickly on her way, and when she looked back over her shoulder, the loom and the women had vanished away. So finally, she came to the palace of Persephone. The roof and columns were made of pure silver, shining with a pale light through the murk and gloom, like the shimmer of pale moonbeams on a cloudy night. Above the heads of the pillars ran a strange mural telling of night and chaos, and of the birth of time, and how humans rose up against the gods in deadly battle, and were hurled into the depths of Tartarus by the thunderbolts of Zeus. And it showed how Prometheus the Titan gave fire to mortal men, so that they learned all manner of crafts, and became the masters of all living things, and like the gods for wisdom. But they ruled by the law of the strongest, and said that might was right, and gave birth to the foul forms of pestilence and war and red-handed murder. 
The other side told of the things that would come to pass when time and death should be no more, and love would rule the universe. On that side, all the figures were fair and all the faces beautiful, and the breeze played through pleasant places where the flowers never fade. In the center, with mighty wings overshadowing each side, stood a mighty figure, Ananka, great necessity, the mother of gods and men. From one side she looked dark and terrible, and the world trembled at her frown, but from the other she was fairer than the day, and by unchanging law caused all things to be perfected. On the palace steps before the doorway sat Cerberus, the three-headed watchdog. When he saw Psyche approaching, he began to growl, and his growl was like the rattle of thunder far away. As she drew nearer, he barked furiously and snarled at her, baring his white, gleaming fangs. Quickly, she threw him one of the barley loaves, and while he was devouring it, she slipped gently past and stood within the courtyard of the palace. All was silent and deserted, and her footsteps, as they fell on the marble pavement, made no sound. She passed through great doors of bronze into a lofty hall. In the shadowy depths of it, she saw a great throne raised, and on it sat the Queen of the Dead. About her stood two handmaids, and their names were Memory and Sleep. One fanned her with great poppy leaves, and as she did so, the eyes of the Queen grew heavy and dim. But when the servant grew weary of fanning, the other would hold up a great mirror of polished steel. And when the Queen looked into it, the color would rush into her pale cheeks, and her eyes would glow like coals of fire, for in the flash of the steel she saw Earth's flowery meadows and remembered that only for three months did she have to live in the gloom and the shade. She knew then that one day the circling seasons would stop and decay and death would pass away, and when that time came, she would dwell forever in the sunshine and the flowers. For it was a magic mirror, and few can bear to look on its brightness, but those whose eyes are strong gaze into its depths and learn that knowledge and remembrance are one. Timidly, Psyche crossed the hall and knelt upon the steps of the throne. Child of Earth, what are you doing here? asked the queen. This is no place for living souls. O oh, mighty one, I beg a favor from you, said Psyche, and brought out Aphrodite's chest. Please give me the gift of undying beauty in this chest so I can return above worthy of my immortal husband. It is a great favor that you ask. Nevertheless, because of your bravery, I will give it to you, for many people set out to find it, but few have the heart to come so far. She took the casket in her hands and breathed into it, and her breath was like the smoke of incense on the altar. Take it and return swiftly upward, and do not open it until you come upon earth. For in the land of the dead, my breath is death, but above it is life and immortal beauty. Farewell. Gladly, Psyche rose from her knees and sped through the silent palace. She threw the second loaf to Cerberus as she passed, and for the second gold coin, Charon took her back across in his boat. This time, no sad ghosts cried to her for help and she knew that it was because of the food that they had tried to stop her before. At last, she stood once more in the sunlight, and joy gave wings to her feet as she sped across the plain and away to Aphrodite's pleasant valley. With the box in her hand, she knelt before the throne, but Aphrodite put out her hand and lifted her up. 
You will not kneel to me anymore, Psyche, for now you are one of us. But open the chest and drink into your soul the life and beauty that will never die. Her smile was brighter than sunshine on the shimmering waves, and the touch of her hand made Psyche's blood run like fire through her veins. Hardly knowing what she did, she opened the box. The fumes rose up in a cloud around her head, and she knew no more till she felt herself moving upwards, upwards. As life came slowly back, she opened her eyes and looked into the face of him she had seen just once. His rainbow wings were spread above her and his strong arms held her close and he looked into her eyes with the look that joins two souls into one. Beloved, he whispered, love has conquered all things. Now we will live forever in the courts of heaven and teach the hearts of humankind to love as we love. And so a rich celebration banquet was set forth on Olympus, and all the gods took their places. Zeus provided goblets of nectar, which is the wine of the gods, while Hephaestus cooked the dinner. The hours made all things glow red with roses and other flowers, the graces sprinkled balsam, and the muses made melody with harmonious voices. Apollo accompanied his lyre with song, fair Aphrodite danced with steps that kept time to the sweet music played by the orchestra she had provided, for the muses chanted in chorus or blew the flute, while Pan played upon a pipe of reed. And so Psyche and Eros were united forever in their immortality, and soon a daughter was born to them, and they named her Pleasure. The end.